Hey guys, it's your girl Killua. I am currently on my way home and well actually I'm on my way to Brent's house but I call that home because that's where it was for the last 14 years. Sometimes a person can be your home even if you're not together. It's just weird. I try to explain that to people and they always get this weird vibe and I'm like it's not like I'm obsessed with him but I didn't ever really feel a huge strong feeling of home until we got together and then I slowly made my own place and you know the things that are essential for self-sustaining long-term things like life anyway (laughs) that was weird so I'm on my way to his house from work Uh, he's got a super early day and the next week he's got some friends in town Um, so I'm going to take Braylon and Uh, It's going to be a girls week and I'm so fucking excited because I really, Lisa's going to go back to her, her apartment. The ending of the holiday season is in play. 2021 is just around the corner and there was like a huge epiphany for me. And there's so many things I want to share with you because it took me, all right, this is, how do you say it? I got, I saw this in like a fucking quote once because I love stealing good shit. And it was like, I'll be all right, but first I have to be dramatic. Like, I got to be dramatic first and I'll be fine. And I don't know necessarily why. It could be mainly because of the stuff I have with just being on the spectrum and my ability to control my emotions um, and how intense things can feel. I don't get to control, like, I try to fucking control this. When I get really anxious, when the anxiety kicks in, my voice gets really high-pitched and I start to get, like, slowly building in volume. So basically I just sound like I'm screaming, which is great. And also so fun to deal with, I'm sure. Um, but I react to things very strongly emotionally. Um, if it really, if it's something I really fucking care about and because I've been, you know, in a 14 year relationship with Brent and it's ended this year. Um, I mean, we still don't have the divorce papers filed, but I've just, you know, I've spoken to a number of people about that and it's just because COVID is a fucking bitch. And so we're just in the process of like taking that road, but it's the first time that I ever felt like it was real. Like it was actually happening. Cause usually what we do is we just break up and get back together. Um, and we are really good at that. We always, that's just a thing. And I think he wanted off the he wanted off the ride and I don't blame him. I wanted off the ride too. That's a thing. We all know through the fucking tons of podcasts that I've done on this shit where I try to keep his name out my mouth, but I can't cause it's just there. Um, I go to battle with myself and, and like vibrationally I aim higher than I can produce initially. So what happens is my first, like my, a toxic trait of mine would be, uh, the first thing I do is respond in a negative fashion, right? That's just a knee jerk, something I've been programmed to do that is a really hard habit for me to break. And so I'll respond like kind of snippy or sassy or I'll get angry. Like that's a thing. And then as soon as I have time to process and like kind of mull over everything that went down after I was dramatic, I come to the conclusion that the other person and just my own true self deserve better. And so at that point, I come to the conclusion of what I needed to actually see it as. I shift my perspective 
I usually talk it out with you guys and then I'm able to formulate some type of idea of how this goes. And the perplexing thing about Brent is that I just never saw the end happening because I loved him so much and, and he was my home for so long that truthfully, I just was like projecting probably a lot of bullshit onto him and I saw him in a really poor light and that robbed me of the ability to create a steady foundation uh, of like a healthy relationship with our daughter because I'm the person that needs like when you, when you stand there in a group and you're like okay you guys we're all going to go in on three and I'm like so are, do we go in on three or do we go one two three and then go or like I need you to tell me how to do it <laughs> be so direct and literal and so for me um, for a relationship to fully end I need the closure. I need, I need the words said, it's over. We're really done. We're breaking up. This divorce is happening. We're going to go for it. And I, and I forget that other people, you know, that shared this relationship with me said one Brent, uh, like I forget that he has feelings about it too. And maybe it's not easy for him to say those things. And maybe he doesn't want con like the contrast or the drama. Like I get it. I totally get it. But I really needed that to let go. And I don't feel like I really fully got that. I don't think it was ever said specific. And so that's the thing that I never saw any direct action for the divorce. And I just sort of in my head was hoping that maybe like at some point we could get back together. And I know that that's weird, but what do we crave the most? We just want stability, right? We want to be able to plan for things and feel safe. That's a, the notion that we all go for. And as someone who's been um, diagnosed with PTSD for an abusive marriage, I have to say that that's the thing I admire most and crave is predictability, consistency. And it's the one thing that I lack. Um, <laughs> so, of course, I'm going to fucking cling on to the one thing that's been stable for me, even if it's not good for either one of us, even if it's never consistent or stable. It's just to me, he represented home. And so I had to really fucking get it through my head. You are your own home. You don't need another person on this planet to validate your existence or for you to look at and understand that you belong somewhere. You belong where you are all the time. You're here. We all showed up to do this fucking thing. And that's what I was lacking. I put so much weight on a single person. And when it didn't work out, I got angry and I'm, and I villainized him and I forget that he's a human and all the things that we've both done to each other. And I forgot that we have one shot to really, truly get this right with co-parenting. And so I made it a point in my mind once I finally had that epiphany of, look, you're fucking this up with your drunk shenanigans and evil texts and, you know, just bullshit. Like, it's just, it's it's the toxic trait. I've done it, you know, and I'm, I'm owning it. So when I finally get to this place of realizing you're actually letting him go, you're really letting him go. Like you're actually going to be okay without him. And you always have been. That's when I realize I'm in a, I'm in a healthier vibration. I'm in a safe place. So I'm going to be fine, but first I had to be dramatic and I'm done with that now because I realized that all I had to do was tell myself it's done. You're letting him go now. And then I was able to fully grasp that I, I really sabotaged a healthy setup for co-parenting and I feel really fucking bad about it. 
Um, and so now, I mean, cause instead of speaking to me, he probably was just afraid of me lashing out or getting fucking pissy and starting drama. And that's not what I want. I don't want that for our child. I don't want that for someone I spent 14 years with who shared in my growth as a person. I just, I have a profound love for this, for this man. And, and I think a part of me will always see him as a safe place to land or a home. Um, but I'm realizing now that I can let him go and it's so fucking empowering and it's also incredibly freeing. It's so mind blowing to go through something where you initially you got to be dramatic and you're like, Oh my God, like, bleh. but I actually really can, I can really do this. And it feels amazing. Cause I've spent a lot of time numbing out with alcohol. Um, I listen to a lot of really loud rap music or rock music or pop or fucking anything that has a beat. Um, not country. <laughs> Sorry, never going to be that girl. Um, and I just, you know, I don't process. And the last, I think it was the last week or so things were really toxic. And I, I stepped back. I think it was like a couple nights ago. I got super drunk and sent him some shit that I don't remember sending. I was like, Whoa, that was really stupid. So, uh, that's a thing substance abuse or just trying to numb out all the bad feelings that's something that I've used as coping and so I'm I'm just trying to step into a healthier place and I I think I just started really feeling bad I mean I messaged him and I was like look I'm really sorry I don't know why I've done that to you multiple times I think I held a lot of anger over the fact that it was just gonna change everything had to change it had to change because I have to let him go and that's okay. It's okay. It's not his fault that it's over. It's, we both were part of this. It takes two to tango, you know, and it's not even that someone did anything wrong. It was just more along the lines that we like outgrew each other. The time and the lessons we had were great and they will always be there. They're not going anywhere. And now I can just release him, which is something that's really hard for me to do. I, I have a hard time saying goodbye and letting go. Um, and that's because I just didn't always have that consistent love and things always ended abruptly and it was always unpredictable. And the same goes with my first marriage, like the same themes and patterns play out. And I, and I was walking the same path or driving in the same fucking circle and it didn't matter who I was with. It was just always going to happen because I didn't solve the problem for myself, which is I'm the home. I'm my home. I am home. Sometimes the journey is home, but, or the destination maybe, but the home is always going to reside in you. That's where you open the door into this life, right? You open your eyes and you're going to be the last one to close that door because you're home. And that's, that's so beautiful. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to cry, but it's something that really fucking sat with me today. And I, I apologized to Brent and I said, look, I never want to fight with you again. I want to be friends. I want to be able to let you go and move forward and just be healthy. And I'm so sorry that I made it this difficult, but I was in complete denial for so long. And I'm not going to keep doing this to either one of us or our child. And I just formally want to apologize and acknowledge that this story is ended and a new chapter is beginning. And it's so fucking great. I'm so excited. That's really like something that I can't get enough of. And it feels 
really empowering. And I think I'd mentioned that. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop with this sob story, but that's just where I'm at. Um, and moving forward, girls week is about to commence and I'm so excited. Can't wait to hang out with Braylon and Lisa ring in the new year and just enjoy the rest of my week. Um, today was especially good. I don't know if this is actually, I think I do know. I think Jupiter is quintiling my ascendant or my natal ascendant. So that when the planets above, um, certain number of degrees away, we name those, uh, those configurations, uh, like a conjunction or a square. That just means your planet, the planets above, um, are a certain number of degrees away to a natal placement. So when you're born, everything in the sky is like a screenshot and the energy still stays there. The energy is always present. Okay. That's the energy of you. You don't ever go away. You're, you we're always here. You're always going to be here. That screenshot stays. And so you take that little degree and a symbol. So like, let's say 15 degrees for Aries moon. Um, the planet Mars can roll over your moon and be exactly conjunct or zero degrees um, because the transiting planets never stop moving, right? Your birth chart's just a screenshot of the transiting planets, which is your life energy. So that energy that you had in this world, that first breath in that started your DNA sequence and your life, uh, that's, that's the energy that will mold you and structure you and be impacted by all the planets above. So when a transiting planet, yes, the ones that continually move, not just the screenshot of your life, touch a certain point, like 15 degrees Aries uh, with the moon, let's say Mars rolls over it. That's an exact conjunction. Being that Mars is ruled by Aries, you're going to be a feisty motherfucker that day. (laughs) And some days you can have a benefic placement like Jupiter quintile to the ascendant. Um... And it can show you and others your best beneficial... I mean, it's just very attractive, okay? You're very charismatic that fucking day. And today's my day. Like, I'm sorry, but my shit's been on lock the whole fucking day. (laughs) And I tried so hard to start off being an asshole. I think last night... um, And I'm never going to, like, lie to you. I'm not going to fucking lie to you guys. Like, this is me talking to myself. 100% real talk. I am in my car alone with my phone. I don't lie to myself. I just say what happened and how it is. And I think that's part of the lure. You know, it's like very organic. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. My coworker and his wife listen to my podcast and I can't get enough of that fucking word, dude. I was so mesmerized. It's so organic. And it was such a genuinely sweet, thoughtful, like classy compliment. And I was like, dude, it's organic. And now I'm just like obsessed with it. So I'm sorry. Uh, tangent train is departing. Sorry. I'm back to it today. I've just been real fucking charismatic and I've been super honest about, you know, my drinking things at night. Like when I go to bed at night, I drink wine. That's what I do. And it helps me go to sleep and it slows my mind. And truthfully, I just like it. Um, probably addicted to it a bit, but I have, it's like functional alcoholism. That's real. I'm attempting to break away from that soon. I think that this is actually really going to help me. Um, the final closure and the turning of the page is what will propel me into my greatest adventure yet, which is living a life uninhibited. Like nothing is numbing my senses. Nothing is, you know, nothing is going to 
blur the crisp image of reality in front of me. I want all of it. I want to feel everything. I want to feel it. And I don't want to have to numb things just to survive, you know. And I've had a lot of pain, but that's just part of my life. That My life is incredibly transformative. So the worst fucking thing you could ever try and do with me as a person is mansplain something to me about spiritual growth and journey. Because motherfucker, that's what I do. (laughs) Don't mansplain how to spiritual journey because I'm fucking the one. I'm the one today. And I do that shit every fucking year of my life as I have since I was born. Um, So I'm on the fast track to a lot of transformation, which is why if you meet me um, one day, you can meet me the next same place in time one year later and I'll be completely different. And so kudos and props to Brent for sticking with me for as long as he did and riding the wave of my change and just how I am. I'm like a fucking, (laughs) I'm like a tsunami. Anyway, it just, it's enveloping. Everything is, it's just all encompassing. It's going to be so unavoidably strong and it's going to be unexpected and it's always going to come after a big storm or a big earthquake. That's my energy right there. I'm a fucking tsunami. Um, and so long story short, I have been, um, coming into this place now where I'm looking at the things that I've done and rather than just shift or refuse to accept the things that I've done wrong or, you know, project and blame other people, uh, I'm being accountable and I'm owning the shit that I've done because that's all you can do. You can't lie to yourself. You can't lie to others. And if you do, you're probably going to forget the lie and then you're just going to look like a dumbass. So you might as well give it to him real and tell him how things are. And that's what I'm doing right now. Last night I did a drunk podcast for fucking five minutes and, um, and it like, I listened to it this morning. And so everything in context that I say to you, like with time, like, is it context or everything grouped together? Like mm, related when I, when I start giving you time references, it's meant to be like this whole thing that I'm talking about is going to all directly relate. So please stay with me. Um, just net it all together. Okay. So that drunk five minute podcast, stay with me, um, was heard by sober Kayla this morning and, and I listened to it and I was, when I get drunk, there's like a part of me that just gets so tapped into the other side. And I really process a lot of my fucking emotions. And I think it's the feelings that I don't open up and I, that I stuff away so I can keep being the happy fucking bus driver. And so it just opens up. It pops out like a fucking cork on a champagne bottle and out comes the emotion. And, and I'm really tying it all in because as I was listening to this podcast, I realized that I never saw myself as home ever until I was able to find a safe place after the abusive marriage. And he was the first safe place I found. And by safe place, I mean safe person. I was free to be myself. Like, but I took a lot of the toxic things that I'd learned in that relationship with my first husband and unknowingly put it on him. And that was a cycle that I am looking to end now. And I, it's really hard to go through all this self-reflection and all this like fucking talking with you guys on my way home in the middle of the night um, and not see quickly that like you're the fucking problem. Like st- the, I always say to people, okay, 
step one to like spiritual enlightenment, enlightenment, but enlightenment isn't, it's not like a status. It's just, it's just something that you do. You become enlightened when you learn more, when your consciousness expands and you shift your paradigms to something completely different than they've already been. There's a tendency to look back on your actions and just like cringe because you realize that you're the asshole. Step one to spiritual enlightenment is recognizing that you're the asshole and you didn't need to pass judgment on other people when you didn't know them and you didn't know their story. You didn't know that like, even if you're sitting there talking to another human, like this is something that I really play devil's advocate for and the ending of a relationship, you can hear one side of the story, but you'll never fully grasp what it was for both parties because you're not them. And unless you have the ability to sit down and see them completely. And the one thing that actually genuinely made me cry one day was when I realized you're never going to truly know somebody. You're never going to truly know someone. You can spend your entire life growing with them, but you don't change the way that they have. You don't experience the same heartache that they do. And suddenly you realize that, oh my God, is this fucking gas station open? Fuck yeah, I'm getting Pino Grigio. Don't judge. We don't judge here. I'm getting it. Don't, don't hate. (laughs) It's open. Yay. I don't have to drive all the way to fucking... BFE. God, I hate living in the country. I'm sorry. Oh, I hope they don't lock it. Oh, please, God, don't lock it. Okay, good. They're open. All right, check it. I'm going to go pop in here, get a bottle of Pino, and I'll be back. And then we'll fucking hang out. I promise. I'm going to make a really nice podcast for you guys. I'm going to tell you all the things. Today was fucking bomb as shit. I got all my favorite passengers. I was charismatic as fuck, and everybody loved me. And I love them back. Someone even gave me fucking incense. It was everything. Anyway. Uh, I gotta, I gotta go. I'll be right back. Love you. Hey, it's your girl. I'm back with my Pino in the car podcasting. No, the keys are not in the ignition and I'm just sitting in front of the house. The gate's locked. Don't worry. It's fine. I'm not going to fucking drive. It's cool. Uh, so I just poured myself a little, little Pino and my favorite little purple cup. I switched from Rockstar to Pino and I'm looking forward to the day where I can turn that, you know, like into water only and, and not like forever, but certainly enough for me to evolve and feel. And if I decide to go back to it, great. But I feel like once I finally take that step, I'm going to fall back in line with my, with my previous self before I met Brent and love going to the gym and just getting my fucking life. And it cracks me up because this is exactly the same parallel, um, transformation, that my big sister Lainey went through where she was evolving in her career. She was working constantly and I'm not going to go into like extreme details, but it was like, she came to the conclusion that she wanted something. And when she, she finally stuck to that decision and made a choice because there's no more limbo. There's no more time to sit in the gray It's either black or white, bitch. Get in or get out or just shit or get off the pot. That's a real attractive phrase, by the way. Please never say that to me. I'm sorry I subjected you to that. But um, she did that. And then right when she made that choice and she took some time to herself and went really inside, she she was able to fully process a lot of grief that she'd experienced from um, a a situation with a neighbor um, and finding um, a really horrific scene. And so that really changed her quite a bit. And so she went within and she did the drinking and she 
you know, ate the Taco Bell and, and became the curvy fucking chick with short hair. And then suddenly she just got her life. Like she did it. And it's about the same fucking age that I'm doing it right now. It was right before she met me that she finally decided to fucking go for it. And, um, when I first met her, I was, uh, I flew up to Alaska with Braylon to meet my siblings and I was able to fully experience my big sister, my little sister and my big brother. And it was so beautiful. And I was able to look at a wise woman who was powerful within herself. And that was the aim. And I always wanted that for myself. I always try and present that, but we're always in the transition phase for me. Like I've always been in this gray place and now I'm finally going into the other side and I'm, I'm evolving and I'm fucking ready. Like 2021, I'm not going to knock shit over and be loud. I'm just going to show up every day and do what I'm supposed to do to better myself and make my life better. And I can't wait. I can't fucking wait. This is actually, it's happening. We're doing it. Are you ready? (laughs) Are you ready to stop hearing me fucking cry and do random shit or like wake up with pomegranates in her hand? I bet you're ready. It's okay. I'm ready too. Um, so back to it. I'm in my car. No, I'm not going to drive gates locked. I'm on private property. It's fucking legal. And I'm just drinking my little Pinot Grigio. And I dumped out my Rockstar, poured my Pinot Grigio in. We're locked and loaded. Let's chat. Um, I knew today was going to be incredibly inspiring for me. I could sense it because it was like everybody that I came into contact with. Now, mind you, I had just come to this conclusion where I was going to have to let go of someone that I thought was home. And it was so empowering, but also scary and kind of sad And there's a level of uncertainty, you know, like it's just there and it happens for all of us. We've all done it, you know, and, uh, well, I mean, a lot of us have done it. We've all let go of something that we thought would always be there. And we finally came to terms with our own ugly actions and you set yourself straight. You just say, look, bitch, knock it off. And then you decide to be better and you do better and you become better and then you eventually are better. And so it was a hard morning for me. I actually wasn't really looking forward to going to work, but I also felt like maybe that would be the perfect distraction. And every time I've ever hesitated to go to work, it's always the best fucking day. So it's almost like when I feel the pull to not go, I need to push myself to get here because the days like today happen and they're beautiful. They're so fucking magical. These people in this city are everything. And we can see that when the buildings emptied you know, and the streets were, were like a ghost land. The first time they did the shutdown, we realized that all of our experiences that make life enjoyable and interesting and, and worth stepping outside have to do with other people because you can see beauty and people that don't see it in themselves. You can explain so many things about their beauty and their grace that they have within them that you've observed and it will empower them and strengthen them to do better and become better and just live their life knowing they are worth it. And so I spend a majority of my time doing that while I'm at work because it's just such a beautiful platform. Like it's the unassuming role of the city bus driver where you're just like there. Some of, some of the people there don't want to be there. I've had a day or two like that or fucking months like that myself. But when you show up every day and you're consistent, you're given a lens that is so rare 
and you're and you're given the ability to build status in a community that you love and serve. Being in a position of service is the most rewarding thing you could do spiritually. And I fucking super mean that. And when you're around all these beautiful people, you collect stories of their life and you can compare them to yours without actually having to live it. Okay. I wish that I was wise enough before I started this job to take every single circle seriously like I do now. Because every circle is is different. Every every interaction, every every vibe. I mean, there's crazy shit that goes down. And that's where today comes into play. Today was just amazing, tenfold. My first passenger that I really got into a very nice conversation with, his name is Keenan. Uh He's a lovely person. I really thoroughly enjoyed our time. We talked from Johnson Creek. So if you're familiar with the 72 here in Portland, um, we were headed north towards Swan Island and the Anchor and Channel um, shipping docks. And so that's a really long route. I mean, it's about two hours in one direction. So I do a total of, um, you know, four circles total. But like if you're counting one direction, so maybe a total it's, like an hour and 45 minutes in one direction. So the full scope would be almost, you know, four. So I do two full big circles. Anyway, that's way too detailed. I take that. I just apologize. I I do that. I'm really detailed. Um, (laughs) it can get really, it's distracting. I'm sorry. I'll do better. So he gets on at Johnson Creek and we're headed North and we talk about all kinds of things. Um, that I wanted to mention with you. And so I'll run down the list of things and topics that we've discussed. Uh, so just sort of imagine that you're on the bus with us. That's how I'm going to deliver this because I can't do the, he said, she said, we said, they said, blah, 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 blah. Then we stopped at Pal and someone came running and then we start like, I'm not going to do that. You guys are with it. I could just trust that you're going to get this story and understand where I'm at. And so we discussed a number of very important topics that I'm very passionate about and very informed about. And um, I'll start. So he gets on and, oh, wait, no, he got on at the Winco. Man, we really did talk for a long fucking time because it takes like five minutes to get to the Lindy stop. Anyway, long story short, details. That's, uh, I digress. I'm going to say that every time I get distracted with details. I digress. Thank you, Amber Khan, for being a fucking bad bitch and sharing that memory of your life. Anyways, that's another podcaster I follow. So <clears throat> he gets on and it starts like this. We start talking about um, where people are in this economy and this pandemic like on a spiritual level, people are so depleted of energy and hope. And there's so lack, I mean, there's a lack of resources. There's a lack of inspiration. There's so much fear. There's so much trauma. There's so much grief. Okay. There's so much skepticism and doubt and it's just fucking everywhere. And you look at, I mean, the grand scale of what this pandemic has done for us as as a people and a, a collective which is appropriate because Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto are all going to be conjunct here in Aquarius, which represents the collective at large. So, you know, everybody, collective consciousness. And so when you think about how it's affected all of us, like another passenger got on, I don't know if Keenan was on the bus when 
she boarded, but her name's Kathleen. And the first day I met her, she had lost her job. And it was like right in the middle of the pandemic, like before the second shutdown. And her business tried to keep it open. Like she was making 32 bucks an hour. She was doing really well. And then she lost her job. And there was so much uncertainty that came with that because as you've seen with unemployment, you don't get the opportunity to collect your check right away. There was such a large gap, especially if your employer is a piece of shit like Amazon and disputes your unemployment claim. So then you have to go into like a judicial process where you prove your shit and submit your things and all your things that you've got if you're lucky enough to have them. Um, And I'm sorry, but Jeff Bezos, the fucking owner of Amazon, makes $37.5 million an hour. $37.5 million an hour. That's so much fucking money. That's more money than everyone in their life will see. Okay. And so I just wanted to, that's a side note. We'll put a pin in that and circle back because it applies to the conversation with Keenan. When Kathleen got on my bus that day, she didn't have any fucking fare because she was scared. She realized that she's got probably zero savings. Okay. Um, because of the pandemic, a lot in the beginning stages, a lot of us were giving our family money. So we were all being depleted of money because what happens when you're in a family unit and someone's struggling, you give them some money because that's what you stick together. That's why homelessness is really, truly only about who you know and how you're connected, which puts me a hundred percent at risk. Cause I don't know a lot of fucking people. I mean, I know people, but I, I don't have ties. Like when my mother passes away, that's it for me. I mean, I can, I can hope that Brent being my person for 14 years would step in, but I'm not going to have anyone. I'm going to have to be self-reliant and that puts the focus on home and being my own solid foundation. And so she was uncertain. She was scared. She didn't have any extra savings. She just lost her job. Um, and she gets, you know, I open the door and she starts to cry. And she said, I just lost my job today and I don't have any money for fair. And I, and I gave her a big fucking hug. I said, and like, mind you, we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Like, what am I doing? But I can't look at someone who's sobbing. I cannot do that and leave them there to suffer. I'm going to fucking hug them. I'm going to hug them. I did it. I hugged her. I'm sorry. That was wrong during a pandemic. But sometimes you just have to weigh the priorities. Okay. And I wasn't about to watch this really sweet, raw, beautiful, strong woman fall apart in front of me and not give her some type of comfort. There was no one else on the bus. It was me. She was my first passenger of the day. And I said, oh, well, that's good because you're my first passenger of the day. And tradition says that you get, you know, this pass to get to where you need to go because thank you for being my passenger. And she's like, do you really do that? And I was like, yeah, like there's a tendency where drivers can use their discretion to decide, you know, what's acceptable. And I've seen it done before multiple times. Managers will jump on the bus, grab people a day ticket, you know, our customer service reps will do it. It's, it's a thing. It's an extension of comfort to those who are suffering. When a woman got on my bus and didn't have any shoes on, mind you, I learned the Jeff Bezos fact, uh, $37.5 million just sitting there trying to fathom the amount of wealth this motherfucker has is insane. Um, the next stop I opened my doors and this woman's crying and she's just trying to get downtown. She doesn't have any fucking shoes on. She's wet. She's been walking. And I said, are you okay? And she's like, I just need to get downtown. How do I get downtown? I said, okay, 
take this. And I gave her the day pass because I'm not going to fucking risk her getting on the bus and having some motherfucker be like, meow, you don't have a ticket. Because I've seen customer service reps help people that were in extreme need and give them like an opportunity to get to where they need to be. That is what you do to get returning clientele. When they realize they're more than just a number to you, there's more to the experience. It becomes a community. And that's what we need to get through this year. So when I realized that Jeff Bezos makes $37.5 million, I was 100% infuriated and I couldn't stop telling people. I even told Kathleen today. I said, look, dude, like, are you okay now? And she was doing great. She's doing okay. She finally got her unemployment approved, which is a different story for Keenan. And that'll loop in. We're transitioning now. That's what we're doing. That's fancy. I saw that on Google. <laughs> I was like, how do I make my podcast flow better? And they're like, focus on your transitions. How do you transition? So when you flow in between two stories, it's important to have a good like comma, you know, like, Hey, deep breath. We're transitioning. I'm going to, I'm going to work on my subtlety. I'm not really good at that, but I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> so transition to Keenan. Um, the topic of fair came up a little bit. We touched on that. I think the story of Kathleen came up, but I can't be certain because I talked to so many people today, but it was such a cool fucking conversation. And he started out explaining that I think I had volunteered. Like, I don't shut up about the Jeff Bezos thing because it's so fucking, that's an obscene amount of money. The fact that there's that kind of wealth in this fucking world right now is disgusting. There is no fucking way that you should be able to profit off the fucking suffering of others simply because we can't fucking go anywhere. And not only are you doing that, you're, you're harming our economy by putting smaller companies that produce material goods out of business because you found a fucking secret recipe to produce the same material in your goddamn factories that it's cheaper in quality. I mean, you're literally bringing fucking manual labor what do they call it? The labor laws where there's no regulations. So Nike outsources their, their, um, employees to other countries so they can pay them less so they can profit more. Okay. That doesn't, I mean, it helps you grow your shit, but it doesn't help our economy. You're not helping your fellow neighbor. You're not doing shit. You're being greedy. You're being a greedy motherfucker when you do shit like that. I can understand if you were trying to do something to help tons of people and by working at the reduced labor, you're able to reach more. But Nike's pair of shoes, you want to fucking tell me that they deserve $100 a pair of tennis shoes when they get, you know, $4 shoes sent over from China? Get the fuck out of here with that. For real? So then you think about Jeff Bezos. He's bringing that shit here. He's got these... And it's possible he's having a maiden, you know, actually, no, realistically, he's doing the same thing Nike does, but he's doing it in such a way where he's finding out the exact make and model of certain brands that are very popular and and selling best on Amazon. And then he takes that particular, like I'm in love with these pair of um, leather jeans. So in my order history or my leather pants, in my order history, I can go and reorder another pair. I'm very weird about my clothing. I like to have the exact same things that I like because I'm quirky as fuck and I'm autistic. So I have preferences on texture and it has to be a certain way, which is why I fixate on certain things and it's obsessive and weird um, and quirky. And that's just, it's not weird. It's just, I'm not neurotypical. I'm, I'm neurodivergent. And so moving on, he takes the 
the order history and instead of informing the the customers on Amazon that they're that they're outsourcing from the previous seller, they can still produce the same material goods only at a cheaper cost elsewhere. So first he gets the sellers to come to him. It pumps up the fucking audience. Everybody's like, oh my God, these leather pants are so great. Look at the reviews. Oh, I should buy these pants. Then what happens? You go buy the pants, you buy them again, different fucking pants. Why is that? Because he outsourced the, he takes the seller's designs He gets exact mathematics. He figures out how to fucking produce a cheaper, shitty version of it. And then he sells you a fucking pair of pants that you're never going to return because honestly, you might try and return it, but going to the fucking post office, not knowing how to ship it. It's like when HR wants TriMet drivers to time slip the five minutes we're guaranteed from the end of our shift to you know, the exiting of the building. It's in our contract. It's, it's absolutely allowed to time slip five minutes. It's in the union contract with our employer. Now, HR accepted that because instead of automatically giving the drivers five minutes, they make us fill out time slips. So if you don't time slip, which if you think about it, on a large scale, a lot of people just want to get the fuck out of there. If they're late, they don't have time to do it. How many times per day does that happen throughout the course of a year, throughout the course of a driver's employment? How much money do they lose because they didn't do the five minutes of time slipping? So how much money do you think Jeff, Jeff Bezos is keeping when he sends you a shitty product that you're never going to order again, but that's okay. Cause you'll just find another one that they're selling to you. Um, and then they're going to shift the sellers there. It's a rotation. And he's doing that by doing that. He's putting other companies out of business, other producing material goods companies. And he's becoming a monopoly of shipped goods. I mean, it's fucking genius. So we're in the midst of a plant, like a global pandemic. And he's profiting off of the backs of people who work for him, i.e. Keenan, who has the fucking knowledge of working for Amazon and tells me, well... I find it really fucking ironic that Amazon is sending me emails every week. Amazon's hiring. Amazon's hiring. And then I go back and I apply and they say, oh, we're due to the pandemic. We're not hiring. Well, why do you think that is? Because he worked for Amazon for 90 days and the supervisor gave him open knowledge and testimony that they cycle through their employees. They're abusing the 90 day probation gap and that they do that specifically so they don't have to pay their employees healthcare. And there's enough people in this pandemic who are trying to get some fucking work and they want that hazard pay. So they want the $2 extra, which they only ever fucking do for the last month. And then the worst part, after they lay you off, they dis- they do a disclaimer or they dispute your unemployment claim. So then you're taking people away from money. You're making them wait nine 19 weeks is what Keenan said because he had to go to the judicial, I think it's judiciary, whatever the fucking next step is. It's like when they make a vote in the House of Representatives and then that that's kiboshed like with the 2000 stimulus check and then they move on to the Senate and they do like an unanimous vote or whatever. I don't know what the fucking process is, but there's a thing. And so there, it's the same, it's the same setup. I mean, it's all just hoping that maybe somebody won't have the patience or the perseverance or the motivation. I mean, 
God, they're banking on the fact that we're too depressed to accept unemployment money or do anything about this injustice that's happening nationwide. And that was a really good fucking point that Keenan made to me. And so I recommended, I said, you know, that sounds like a class action lawsuit. I highly recommend that you like go talk to Greg Caffrey and see if there's something there. Cause that dude's a fucking mover and shaker. And if he thinks he can do some shit for money and he knows he can fucking win and maybe prove like an interesting case, that's what he goes for. He goes for the fucking eyebrow raising cases. And that's why I like him. God, I love that fucking lawyer, dude. I like how, I think he's on the spectrum too. Cause he was super un ungraceful with his socialing and he was really like direct he was busy he wanted to know the shit and if you didn't give it to him he would get annoyed and like no cut the shit like what do you have what do you don't have he's very direct and unless you have experience working with people and you learn over and over and over again the social niceties which most women are very adaptable which is why 100% of us get like misdiagnosed or we don't get diagnosed at all because we've learned how to fucking function well enough in a society that doesn't understand women can be autistic and functional in society and be charming. And it's actually quite interesting that there is a large number of extroverted autistic women out there and nobody would fucking know. But it's like looking at the goddamn sun. And I think that's one of the main tells for me. So other women on the spectrum are like, are you? You're on the spectrum, aren't you? And I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm neurodivergent. And so then we like to call them normies. It's cute. It's like a fun way to feel cool. But, you know, like deep down, we're all like freaking out because everything's overstimulating. <sighs> Thank God for the Internet, dude. Thank God. Oh, God. Hold on just one moment. Yeah, I turn my fucking car on. OK, don't judge me. I just I'm cold. It's 30 degrees out. Exactly 39. So as we touched on the Jeff Bezos thing, we talked about what we would need to see from our employee, like our our employees, our employers, the government, the people that, that keep us busy and a frantic pace of constantly trying to survive and working to live, but never actually living because we're constantly working and exhausted. Um, we touched on what life was for people. Oh, and I also, I think I'm actually finding a parallel between Keenan and Kathleen because we talked about a lot of the same subjects. And anyway, Kathleen had, had mentioned the same thing. She's a 1970s kid. And I said, yeah, you know, that's a good generation right there. And she's like, yeah, but everybody overlooks us. And I said, well, there's value there. I mean, you guys had to be raised by baby boomers who were taught to be seen and not heard. So you were naturally expected to become more intuitive. You just had to learn how to read motherfuckers to survive and know you were fucking loved. If you weren't getting beat or watching your parents drink themselves to death, like fucking props to the baby boomers, man. You guys are fucking hardcore people. I love you. Um, And you don't fuck around. That's what I really like. I love older generations because they've seen some shit. They fucking made it. If you're still alive and you got older, that means you're, you're a fucking fighter and you're surviving. And so I don't place judgment on people that have substance abuse issues that have lived a little, because guess what? This fucking world can be really weird and it's acceptable to see it as weird and not always sunshine and puppy dog tails. There has to be dark with the light. That's a contrast of life. It's equilibrium. Okay. So back to the generational thing. Kathleen had mentioned, uh, people don't really pay much mind to us. And I said, yeah, but you guys actually made some of the best parents. I mean, if you look at the people that were born in the six, like the late sixties, early 
seventies croaching into the eighties. Like you're looking like before the millennials, you know, cause like, let's be real. Sometimes millennials are kind of obnoxious, but we're also cool as fuck right now because we're all accepting that there's like that existential dread. Like we're like, what the fuck am I here for? This pandemic sucks. Oh my God. Somebody hand me a bottle of wine. And so it's a lot of collective energy that we're all feeling. And when you think about the, the, the generation of Kathleen and Keenan, they make some of the, the most excellent parents because they had to be incredibly intuitive. So they anticipate their children's needs and that's where you get that generation. And they produced amazing things. Um, and I said, you know, there's a difference between the generation now and life now than before when you were younger, you know, your parents would leave you home when they went to work because they're fucking boomers. And they're like, dude, watch, watch, go get the mail, go fucking check yourself, make the spaghetti. It's in the, it's in the fucking fridge. Like they do that. It's, it's swim or drown, but do your shit. Cause I don't have time for this. I'm working. And so <laughs> I love the baby boomers. There's a, a slice of the sixties there. Oh, I just saw a shooting star. Um, and so they end up becoming more intuitive, loving parents. Um, but times have changed since. So where you could leave your kid at home. You can't do that anymore. That's child neglect. Uh, but the difference with that is that there, there was more time to live back then. The gap between what the corporations make and the working people make was not nearly as significant. And when I heard that fucking fact, 37.5 million, I threw up in my fucking mouth because it's exactly why we're in a society now as people who work to live and we never do the living. It's always pushed off to later. When do I get to see my fucking kid? One of the reasons why I'm so excited to have Braylon at my house for a week is because I'm always working. And when I finally get home, she's fucking sleeping. And so sometimes I'll just go pick her up just to have her because I miss the way her fucking hair smells. I love my kid. And just because we all work doesn't mean we don't fucking love our children. You know, I was a hover mom with Jacob and he, he reminds me as he remembers me as something different and that's fine. It's going to be what it is. And I can't change his view of me. He's going to have to realize it on his own. I have memories of following him to school on a bike, wearing a neon vest and a fucking walkie talkie. (laughs) I was a hover mom, dude. Um, and so that was a tangent. I digress. We don't have as much time to parent our children now in this society, it's almost become essential that every fucking kid has a goddamn tablet and it's producing really, really depressed kids. They don't have a sense of home. They're looking for what I was looking for. My mom had to work a lot because we lived in California for a little bit and that shit's expensive. She was a single mom. She didn't ever get any help with child support or social security. There was nothing. She, she was the only person that could solidify the foundation of her life. And if she was somehow put out, there was no one there to catch her. So similar to where I'm at right now, it's all about connections, right? That's what, that's what makes the difference between being homeless or not. And so this entire thing has impacted every single one of us on a fundamental scale. The first week that they shut everything down, at some point they decided to close down the cannery, like the bottle drops. I know so many people that went hungry I know so many people that didn't have enough fucking money to go to work or get their bus fare. And it was the only blessing that we were not able to accept cash and we just gave them rides. So part of that 
entire thing and I'm starting to get tired, but I want to keep going. I'll probably finish this up and, and we'll dabble in it tomorrow. Um, because Keenan, it was, I almost want to fucking interview him because he's such a thinker and I was so just genuinely happy for him. He just found out he was going to be a grandpa and it's just cool. It's so beautiful. Our people in the city are just breathtaking and they're everywhere. And it's like, I got to meet Ling Ling today and I've been driving her for seven fucking years and she's got a really strong accent and a speech impediment. And so it makes her being able to communicate incredibly difficult. And so majority of the reason why she doesn't wear a mask is she wants people to see that she's smiling because she doesn't know if people understand her with her eyes because she's Asian. And so she's got really beautiful slanted eyes, but she, she doesn't think people can tell she's trying to be joyful. And that's all she's ever been is just trying to be joyful. And so she comes up to me today and she says, how, how old are you? And I was like, oh, you know, 35. And she says to me, are you, are you married? And I was like, oh, actually I'm getting divorced. But she didn't understand me quite well. And that's fine. And then she was like, oh, nice job. You know, how long? And I was like, oh, 14 years. And she was like, good for you. And I was just like, okay. And then she says, um, you have kids. And I said, yeah, I have two. And she goes, a boy and a girl. I said, yeah. Cause how the fuck does she know that? That's awesome. And then, um, I think it's cause she listens when I talk with my passenger, she's always on my bus and she holds up a sign over by Clinton street off division. Like when you're headed North on 82nd toward division, just before the can, the canteen grill Cantonese grill was before they shut down after 75 years, also affected by the pandemic. Um, just before you get there, she stands there in that parking lot where there's an Asian market and she holds a sign up. And a lot of the time people will give her money because it's the same community. And honestly, people of color, like people of color, specifically ones that have been like discriminated against, put in concentration camps or quote unquote detainment centers, like back in the day when they were freaking out about Pearl Harbor. Um, I mean, they did that shit to our own citizens. They put them in fucking camps. They lost everything. There was never any forgiveness, no stimulus checks. They never write any fucking wrong. The people that they've split up in the native communities and killed their culture and murdered their language um, and just ripped their fucking souls out of their body and raped and pillaged their land and then gave them the shitty nosebleed corner of fucking reservation town. Like, it's garbage. The way that our country colonizes and then just discards people of color is insane to me. So when people have the audacity to tell me that they don't have white privilege, I want to slap them in the fucking face because it's so much bigger than that. It's a a completely different paradigm. Just because you have a privilege does not mean that you weren't working hard. It doesn't mean that you didn't grow up poor. That's not what that means. This is a lack of understanding on your part. Please conceptualize what I'm trying to say to you. Privilege has nothing to do with you specifically, it's about everyone on a collective level. And so when the Asian community sticks together or they stay hidden, it's because they found out that it's not fucking safe to be out without other people of their kind nearby for real, real talk. And then you've got the black community. If you're black anywhere in our country, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb because there's only 13%, 13% of our population is black. So yes, there is a lack of African-American people in our country And there's lots of mixed people, but it is, if you're a darker complexion, you're going to stick out. And that is always going to come with some type of judgment or label or stereotype or some type of fucking ignorant thing that people have grouped together because they're trying to figure out what life was about. 
and it made it easier to assign some fucking stupid title like Asians are good at math or, you know, black people like watermelon and chicken. Like everybody likes that shit. Shut the fuck up. Don't fucking diminish how complex and beautiful that I am as a person. Like when people try and say Native Americans have drinking problems, that's a possibility. Yeah, because it was totally incorporated into our tribes. They gave it to us freely and made us dependent on alcohol because we were numbing out the fucking murder of our people. It was genocide. I mean, the same thing. Like you cannot take generational wounding and tell me that it's not going to play out somehow. You're going to be raised different. There's different cultural expectations. One thing I love about our black community here in Portland, they're sociable. And if they're not sociable, they're just, they, they give you more respect than anybody else, I think. Until they get to a place where they fucking realize they don't have to give respect to anybody. And if anything, they should be fucking furious and kicking shit over. There's a level of just becoming jaded that happens where you realize, like, I need to be a fucking bad bitch right now or else someone's going to fucking rape me or kill my kid or fucking discriminate against me. Like it happens. This happens all the time. So you want to tell me on a collective level that your people didn't have the upper hand when they colonized an entire group of people and then went and colonized another group of people, brought them to this fucking country and made them build it. And they get fucking mad when epigenetics kick in and they're fucking faster and smarter. And truthfully, over time, when things evolve, it just happens that people become stronger and, and faster. And that's what happens when you have 400 years of slavery of making them lift all the heavy shit. It's all making sense, right? Don't fucking tell me that it's okay for you to dispel white privileges. It's not a fucking thing. It's a thing. There's a reason why white women feel so fucking entitled. Because when a white woman asks a question, people fucking answer. Why else do you think Karens are here? And no, I don't person... I've talked on the subject to Karens. Karens can be, uh, Karens like a, like a profile. Okay. It's not gender specific. It's not race specific, but it did start that way. That's how it started. It became something. The idea of a Karen started with entitled white women. And yes, there's a reason why they're entitled because of privilege generations of privilege, it will rear its ugly head. It's a sense of entitlement. It's not necessarily that they're doing it intentionally, unless they're being conscious and aware as with anything, we're going to be an asshole. And we're we're like, we have to figure out why if I can pass as, you know, a white woman, or if I can pass as, you know, a light skinned, whatever native chick, there's a reason why the concept of beauty is always so glamorized when when African-American women would have their hair relaxed as just a means to assimilate into societal norms. It was expected of them. But do you know the chemicals that are put in relaxers are actually meant to sterilize women? Did you know that the women that were put in the ice concentration camps were being uh, sterilized against their will and sent deported out of the country. You mean to fucking tell me that that's okay? How many fucking black women were given hysterectomies without sedatives and died when they were like learning medical technology? There's an ugly, an ugly, bloody, fucking terrifying truth to this history of our country. And it needs to be addressed and talked about. And that's why I'm so passionate. That's why I never stop talking 
because there's a truth there. We need to realize where we are coming from, what life experiences we've had, how we can change, evolve, become more conscious. I have a toxic trait. I naturally react. I'm dramatic. And then I take time to process when I say it with you guys. I don't have that internal monologue. So when you hear me struggling to find words on how to say something, I'm literally just trying to find a fucking feeling and put it into words. I don't have that internal voice in my head that tells me, maybe you shouldn't say that. Maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe that's a bad idea. The impulse control is gone. I just am very reactive. And I'm so sorry if that puts me in some weird fucking label category of being a narcissist. Like we're not even going to touch on that. There's more shit there. Um, but I'm on one tonight, man. I got some shit to say. I almost don't want to stop talking, but I feel like I saw Braylon peeking through the window, which is making me wonder if she's awake, but it could have been Tango. Anyway, um, this is Kilowatt. I'm going to, I'll come back to you. I'm going to publish this. There's so much more and I'll probably finish up tomorrow morning. Um, this will be part one of home. Okay. All right. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.